Hello, my fellow Extraordinary Americans. My name is Cosmos Dar, and this is Extraordinary America. What is Extraordinary America? Well, you see, America has always been about freedom, opportunity, and the pursuit of happiness. However, most Americans are not free when it comes to the financial front. Most Americans are suffering from financial slavery due to loss of jobs, stagnant wages, inflation, and debt. Wealth and income inequality is the norm now, and the middle class has all but disappeared. So Extraordinary America is about the abolition of financial slavery. It is about the financial freedom of the 99%. It is about the nation of immigrants and the descendant of immigrants restoring the extraordinary within themselves and setting themselves free. The path to financial freedom is through financialist education. It is through becoming entrepreneurs and investors on the light side. In this podcast, I interview fellow Americans who fought against the odds. Many of them came from humble beginnings to see how they did it. It is my hope through these interviews that the extraordinary within you shall awaken and that you will abolish financial slavery from your life and realize the American dream. Once again, welcome to Extraordinary America. Welcome back to the show, my fellow Extraordinary Americans. For today's guest, we have Jason Duncan. Jason Duncan is the founder of one of the fastest growing privately held companies in America and one of the top entrepreneurial companies in the country. He is a multi-award winning entrepreneur and founder of 12 companies who got his start in entrepreneurship as an unemployed school teacher. He became an educator turned entrepreneur. Jason now runs a mastermind called the Exeter Club that teaches entrepreneurs how to live the exit lifestyle through a method he calls Exit Without Exiting, which focuses on the four core principles they can use to break free from the daily grind of business operations. He's also the host of the internationally syndicated podcast, The Root of All Success, which can be heard on all podcast players as well as viewed on YouTube. Jason is what I believe embodies the entrepreneurial and innovative spirit that makes America extraordinary. He managed to use his thought process and certain type of actions to go from where he is to the successful entrepreneur he is now. It is an honor to have Jason on the show. Uh, Jason, are you there? I'm here, Cosmos. It's good to see you, my man. Yeah, it's good to see you too. I'm glad that you took the time to uh, do this show with us. My honor, man. Thank you for inviting me. So Jason, I know that you're a very successful serial entrepreneur, coach, and a very successful podcaster. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background, yourself, and how you got started? Well, I am, uh, I wanted to be a designer, a car designer. As a kid, I loved drawing, and I wanted to go uh, to art school to learn how to be an industrial designer. And I wanted to design cars for Ford or Chevy or Volkswagen or Porsche. I just, I just always loved cars. As a matter of fact, in my line of sight that nobody can see, I've got four model cars on my desk and on the shelf across the room. I don't know how many, but there's dozens. Uh, I'm a car guy. I've always loved cars and motorcycles my whole life. And so that's what I wanted to do. But uh, God had other plans for me. And between my junior and senior year of high school, I felt like I should go into ministry. And uh, that's what I did. So for 13 years, I spent uh, I spent my time as a, in pastoral ministry and then got sick of doing that and decided I got to go somewhere different, somewhere I could really make a, a difference because I felt like I was stagnating in the, in the ministry role in the, as a pastor. And I went back to school, got a master's in education. 
and I started teaching eighth grade American history. And I taught for four years and absolutely fell in love with teaching. I loved the students. I loved everything about it. And, um, but because of the great recession, they could not renew my contract. They had to cut two teachers in the building where I was teaching at the time, even though I was the number one teacher in the county and my subject matter, they cut my teaching position and another, another guy, we were the last two people hired. And I was forced to make a decision about the rest of my life. Am I going to, am I going to go back to the corporate world? Am I going to go back to ministry and, or, or what am I going to do? And I made the decision to uh, try my hand at entrepreneurship. So as an unemployed school teacher and an accidental entrepreneur, I started a company that turned out to actually work. <laughs> and I ended up making millions of dollars as a result of it. And that's kind of led me uh, down the road to where we are today. So you're saying that the recession was actually a blessing in disguise for you? Well, you know what? You could say that because that day that my principal sat me down and told me that he, 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 yeah, he knew it was a big blow to me. He said, you know, I can't renew your contract for next year. That was a dark day. But looking back, you know, it was still a dark day. My, my history, the history of that moment does not change the, how dark that moment was, but I wouldn't know you, you would have never invited me to be on a show. I would have not be an author, I wouldn't be a podcast host, I wouldn't be a millionaire for sure. I wouldn't be these things had that day not happened. No, what I admire about this is because the recession was a dark day for a lot of Americans, but you used your entrepreneurial and innovative empowering spirit to come out of it. You fought back and you succeeded. And that's what a lot of Americans need right now. It's like that same energy that you have, you know? I agree. So Jason, what was your overall arching vision and goal when it came to doing, uh, when it came to entrepreneurship? <laughs> well, I'd be lying if I said I had one. And I think I'm not alone <clears throat> as an entrepreneur who didn't have a goal or vision when you started because um, I just simply wanted to survive. You know, I, here I was, the uh, a father of two kids, married and uh, had a mortgage and had student, I don't know if I had student loan debt still, but you know, we had debt, the things that normal people have in terms of debt, just living paycheck to paycheck. And um, I thought, okay, I'm going to start a business. I had no goal. I had no vision for what this was going to accomplish other than I just wanted to pay the dog on mortgage. I wanted to make sure that my kids could continue to go to the, to the private school where they were enrolled. I wanted to make sure that things were happening the uh, financially that the way they always had. So that was all I wanted. And that's, uh, and I and indeed was able to receive that. It wasn't until I really began as a business owner that I started to understand what entrepreneurship really was because business owners and entrepreneurs are two different things. Some business owners are entrepreneurs and some entrepreneurs are business owners, but they're not always synonymous. I think most people we call entrepreneurs are business owners and they have no ability or desire to risk or to innovate. And for me, that's, I had to grow into that role as an entrepreneur. I was at first a business owner and then I started learning and reading, get around, getting around other people, listening to podcasts like this. And that's when my life as an entrepreneur actually took off. Wow. No, it's a pretty interesting because. You know, uh, a lot of times, like most people have like, a fear of failure when it comes to entrepreneurship, like they are afraid of financial ruin. But for some reason, like you managed to push in spite of that. And I think uh, I, I wanted to ask about the motivating factor. Was it just survival? Was it more than just survival? No, it was it was literally survival. I, I wanted to survive. I, I was a very good salesperson. I've always been very good at sales. And I thought I can make this work. And I think that if I did this the right way, 
I could probably make enough money to pay the bills. And I did. I was able to do that. And, and uh, you know, I was able to pay the bills and then some. And my life changed forever. I mean, I remember my first tax bill from the IRS after my first uh, first full year in business was more than what I used to make annually as a school teacher. And, uh, you know, so money, you know, the money was a big reward for the risk that I took, but, but in my stupidity, I did not save any money for those taxes. I didn't understand. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't realize. And I remember, um, after getting my taxes done that year and sit and, and looking at that big, huge five figure number that I owed the IRS thinking, how am I going to do this? I don't even I, I, like, I'm going to go to prison. I don't, <laughs> I don't have any money. I don't know how to make this work. But, but, but that, even that, that was a failure moment in my life that taught me I'll never let that happen again. And I haven't since, and I'm glad to say now that my tax bill is lower than it was when I was teaching school, because I've learned what wealthy people now do with money so that they don't give away money unnecessarily to the government. No, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's crazy that you you saw the fire. Like that would have definitely scared me if <laughs> if I saw that. And I didn't have anything. I'm like, man, what am I gonna do now? Like, oh my god, yeah, it was terrible. So, Jason, what was the biggest lesson you had to learn? Uh, like over your years being an entrepreneur, uh, like what is the biggest insight you gleaned from all these years? Well, I think I was I was actually just talking to a potential client about this before, and I think one of the biggest things that I've learned, um is that I now believe that business ownership is not the goal. Um, rather, it provides the financial resources to support our families and the lifestyles that we truly want to live. And I, I believe that we as entrepreneurs start businesses in order to give us a better life, not to give us a better job. And this is why I spend most of my time coaching entrepreneurs today. I teach them how to design businesses that around their lives rather than their lives being built around what's left out of after business life is done. And I've helped founders of companies free up over 50% of their time to focus on more important tasks, to grow businesses, to grow and start other businesses, to, to, to do more traveling, uh, to spend more time with their families. And that's the biggest thing that I've learned is that the lie of entrepreneurship is that the business itself is the goal. When in fact, it's the lifestyle that you truly want that the business can provide. That's the goal. I, I yeah, I noticed that a lot of people like they start their businesses, but it becomes their full time job. Like they sometimes end up doing ten hours, twelve hours. Like the initial goal of being free was uh, is like no longer there because yeah. they're they end the thing. So, well, and that we we as entrepreneurs, we we all a lot of times we find ourselves in circles where we're making fun of or talk or belittling the nine to five W two workers because well they don't have any time they they, you know, they got to answer to the man. Listen, we uh, most entrepreneurs create the same scenario for themselves. You know, they're just the man they have to listen to, and and you become your own employee rather than your own boss. And the nine to five you traded for this new job now is a twenty four seven, and so we've got to get our we've got to get our perspective straight because most entrepreneurs aren't living um on yachts at the beach driving lamborghinis we see that on instagram we see it on tiktok because people think that's cool but the reality that's not reality 99% of entrepreneurs out there are barely making it like they're paying the bills they're barely making and then out of that 1% maybe maybe 3 quarters of that 1% are making a lot of money 
but don't have the time to spend it. And then that one quarter of 1% of the people have figured out the magic. Like, how do I live the lifestyle that I truly want to live? And for some people, it is the Lamborghinis and the models and the, the nightclubs and the beaches and the yachts. But for others like me, it's just, I want to be able to take motorcycle trips. I want to ride my motorcycle when I want. I want to go on RV trips with my wife. I want to travel more. I want to, and, and sure, I trade that for the ability to make a lot more money, but time is way more important than money. I see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of the times, like there's always this illusion of like, normally the Lamborghinis, like, there's always this illusion of success, but it's almost like an unattainable goal for, it's unrealistic. So what you're saying is we have to be more realistic in our, in our like goal setting altogether. Yeah. I mean, I think our, our goals, um, our goal girls are way too lofty. Um, I think inadvertently all the motivational gurus that have been around for the last 20 or 30 years, say set, set goals that are so high that, you know, even if you miss it, you're somewhere in the stars. Well, the reality is if you set a goal so high that you can't reach it, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. You know, lower your expectations so that you can experience joy of completion. You know, if you if you have a high, high, high expectation, and I and believe me, I have high expectations. I'm, I'm I, I expect a lot from my people and from people that work for me, but but they're realistic expectations. And for entrepreneurs who say, "Well, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 28, or I want to have a 10 million dollar company by the time I'm 30, or whatever those goals are." You know, it's fine, but are, but is it realistic? Is it is it probable? And that's one of my mentors, one of my coaches actually taught me this. And this is a really good point. He said, possibility and probability are completely different. Is it possible that you're a millionaire by the time you're 28? Is it possible? Uh, is it possible that you're you're going to be uh, have a 10 or $20 million company or a $100 million company? Is it possible? Sure. In the, in the realms of possibility, anything is possible. But the question we really have to ask ourselves is, is it probable? I mean, really look at it. Are you, is it probable that you're going to do it? And the reality is most entrepreneurs don't sit down and think about what the probability rate is of success. And they set a goal so high that the probability is so low that they're just going to get burned out. That's why they end up working 100 hours a week to attain, try to attain something that's just not likely. It's not probable. No, totally. So Jason, what is the biggest challenge you ended up having to face over your years in, uh, in entrepreneurship and how did you overcome it? The biggest challenge that I ever faced, um, well, there, there's two. So, so the first one, I think most people would, would know, um, uh, would know what I'm talking about and it's cash flow. Cash flow is one of the biggest challenges that entrepreneurs face. Cash is not king. Cash flow is king. Understanding and managing the difference between income and expenses. Um, but, you know, one the company that I own in the lighting business, you know, we would do million dollar projects. And you would think, okay, wow, you just get a million dollar project and you're set. Well, no, because now I got a million dollars worth of expenses, not not technically, but but there's a, there's a bunch of, there's six figures worth of expenses against that, that I've got to manage. Like if my customer's not gonna give me a million and then hope that I get the project done and I get to keep what's left over. No, they're gonna, they're going to dole out cash at certain points. And I had one customer uh, that owed me at one point, well over a million dollars at one point and uh, was six months late in paying his bill. And uh, 
it, it almost put us out of business. So managing cash flow was a big challenge. I had to learn how to overcome, and and it's a it's a it's a learning and progress. But the other the other and the biggest challenge that I did have to overcome was that of a business partner who was not um, who was not willing to provide value commensurate with the amount of money that he was taking out of the business. And it was a very difficult time and season in my life because we were friends. We, we, we really loved and respected one another. And when I, uh, when I broached the subject, it, you know, he didn't, he didn't see it the way I did. And ultimately in order to save the business in the future of the business, I had to make that decision to, um, to terminate him as part of the business, you know, his ownership in the business. And it, it hurt me. It still hurts to this day. And, uh, you know, I overcame it in the sense that my business survived and was able to move past it, but it it was a devastating blow to me personally, financially, I almost went bankrupt as a result of it. The business uh, suffered tremendously as a result of it. And we were on the cusp of rebounding completely from it. And then COVID hit. <laughs> so, you know how that turned out. Man, uh, I, I feel for you because, you know, a lot of people, they have uh, like when they're starting a business, they are afraid of like their partner or their business partner basically not giving enough value or basically scamming them. Or there's always like a trust, you know, like there's either like either in business you have discipline uh, or you have trust issues, right? Like either are disciplined to get the thing done. But a lot of the times it's a matter of trust. Can I trust the other person? financially and a lot of people would have trust issues so it's definitely a big issue uh, what do you think uh people uh, what do you, uh, what would you tell the audience on how to get about that well i think the first thing you really got to consider when you start a business is that if you don't need the business partner and need is a very important word uh don't take a business partner um, business partners uh, should be strategic and there should be a specific need for him or her to be a part of your business. And money should not be one of those reasons, with very rare exceptions to that, because money can be obtained from so many other places without having to give away equity to anyone. You can go to the bank, you can go to hard money lenders. I mean, you could you could borrow credit cards. There's so many creative ways to get cash to get money for your business that a business partner should not be the one. And that was one of the mistakes that I made is that at the early stages, I needed money. And he was a good opportunity to provide that. And he did. And he did provide that. And his return on that investment was <laughs> was quite significant. Um, but I, I would tell people, first of all, if you don't need a business partner, don't take it. Second, I think if you do take on a business partner, that you need to make sure you hire a business coach first to arrange what your business uh, operating agreement was going to look like. Who's in charge of what? What are the specific roles and responsibilities of each person on that LLC? If it happens to be an LLC, who's going to do what? Who gets paid what? It needs to be very specific. And then once the business coach works with you through that, then go to the attorney, have the attorney finalize it, make sure it's all legal. And that the founder of the business, and this is so important, the founder of the business must always 100% have complete control of the company. You cannot leave that to chance. You cannot leave that to the whim of a vote uh, among two or three people. The founder must have complete control. It kind of gives me the image of Steve Jobs going to his board and the own the and the very company that he started and they get kicked out of his own company. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like a lot of like a lot of Americans, like they want to start a business, they want to do entrepreneurship, but they're afraid of financial ruin. Like they start a business, what if it fails? There's like so many fears that are out there. What would you, what would you tell 
somebody that wants to start a business, but is just too afraid to do it. And like, he's not afraid that he can financially get that thing done. Well, um, courage is not the absence of fear. It's acting in spite of the fear. So if you're not courageous, you're never going to make it as an entrepreneur. Fear is a reality of entrepreneurship. You're going to be fearful about money. You're going to be fearful about vendors and fearful about, do I have enough customers? Fearful, is my product going to work? Are people going to return it? Is somebody going to sue me? All those fears have some semblance of legitimacy, but it takes courage to get past that. And entrepreneurs are courageous people. So if you can't get past the fear, don't be an entrepreneur. Because just because you, you might muster enough courage to get past one, it's going to, you're going to hit in the face all the time. I was talking to a, a person on the phone before this and uh, he's like, yeah, I feel like a boxer. It's like, like I'm always getting hit as an entrepreneur. Somebody's always punching at me. And that's what's going to happen in the life of an entrepreneur. Fear is a reality. You've got to be courageous to push past it. But on, in terms, Cosmos, of, of the, what you were asking in terms of the financial ruin, I mean, really think about this. What is the worst thing that could happen? Absolute worst thing that happened financially. Bankrupt. You go bankrupt. You go bankrupt. And what does that mean? Well, that means, well, it means a couple of different things. It could, you could have arranged a bankruptcy where you have to pay your creditors back over a very long period of time, uh, or you're completely released from all those debts. Neither one of those things are death. Nobody dies. Nobody goes to jail. Like that's not that bad of a thing. Now, I'm not, I'm not recommending you do it, but, but, but put it in perspective. Bankruptcy is not that big of a deal. And for most entrepreneurs, you started with nothing. And if you lose it all, you're just back to where you started. That's not that bad. When I started my company, I, my my salary from the from the state of Tennessee as a school teacher is $38,000. Now, I risked a lot of things over the years financially to make millions of dollars. Worst that could happen is I go back and I'm making 38 grand a year somewhere. I, so it's not that bad. What we fear is not that bad. That is awesome. Yeah, I think a lot like that actually get a hold to a lot because a lot of people are afraid. But you saying that is like, yeah, what do you have to lose at the end of the day that you have to go for it anyways? Because, you know, there's like a lot of job security issues in today's world. It's not like 60 to 70 years ago, you could just go into like a, a manufacturing job and you just retire. Like right now, living in a world where there's no security. And at some point, you have to take that chance, you know? Yeah, well, and, and, and the irony of this whole thing is that we're so fearful of the money problem, of the bankruptcy, of losing it all, that we work ourselves silly and end up losing the people closest to us, our children, our wives, our husbands, you know, our spouses. We lose those people because we quit paying attention to them in the hopes that we don't lose the money. And at the end of the day, when, when it's all said and done, you're not going to be sitting there at the end of life going, I wish I'd have made more money. You will be saying, I wish I'd spent more time with my wife. So don't fall prey to this money fear because it's not that big of a deal. I mean, worst case scenario, you got to make a couple of awkward phone calls. And your credit's going to be wrecked for seven years. But, but listen, you you could come back from that. But if you lose your wife, you lose your kids, they don't respect you anymore. You don't come back from that. That's tough. Right, Jason, that's that's inspirational. Yeah, I, I, I actually agree with you on that. Um, so Jason, what was, what is like the one thing you wish you had known when you started your entrepreneurial journey and what would you advise somebody that wants to start and uh, wants to become an entrepreneur is just starting off? So what I wish I would have known, um, is something called the law of the architect. And it's something now that I teach my clients 
And the, the, the law of the architect is one of these universal laws that, that most people don't know about. I happen to have mentors and advisors who help me understand these, these laws. And, and the law of the architect says this, that the architect of the business is the founder of the business. The one who founds the business is the architect, meaning he is the one who designs and builds the business, right? And, and the architect only has three jobs, and this is it. And those jobs are, number one, to set the vision for the company. Number two, to communicate the vision to the company. And number three, build the asset. That's it. The architect's job are those three things three things and those three things alone. Now, if the architect gets involved in things that are not part of his core job responsibilities, it will stifle the growth of the organization and it will stifle the success of the organization. Now, in the beginning stages, every entrepreneur starting out by him or herself has to do everything. They're the, the salesperson, they're the accounting person. I get it. But the reality is once you get past those first couple of months of startup, you have to immediately, as the founder of the business, obey the law of the architect or suffer the consequences of breaking that law. That's what happened to me. I didn't pay attention to the law of the architect. And it took me seven years of breaking the law because I wasn't setting and communicating the vision as clearly as I needed to be. And I certainly wasn't building the asset. I was just maintaining the organization. And when I woke up to that reality, um, it wasn't too late because I was able to recover from it, but I had lost millions of dollars, th thousands and thousands of hours worth of time and the potential for millions of dollars worth of growth because I wasn't paying attention to the law of the architect. So if I could go back and do it all over again, I would obey the law of the architect from day one. That's awesome. I would definitely recommend the audience to like put this in mind because yeah, a lot of the times they go into business and they, uh, there's like five founders and nobody knows who's the actual founder. So it's like a, a total mess, do you know? And then there is no, there's no such thing as a co-founder. I, I, when people announce themselves as a co-founder, I have grace to, cause I, cause they don't know the law of the architect, but the reality is there's no such thing as a co-founder. If, if, you know, you and I sit down together and we have coffee and we're brainstorming ideas and we want to go into business together, one of us is going to come up with the idea. That person is the founder. That person founds the idea. Doesn't matter who had the money, who had the connections, or who had the office space. The founder is the one who had the idea. There isn't a co-founder. You might have assisted me in that, but but reality, there's one co, there's one founder of any business. Now, does that not does that mean you can't call anybody co-founder? No, I, I I get what people mean, but I know this one company, for example, I, I'm a vendor or they're a vendor of ours, and I love their product. Um, and, and I'm not going to mention them only because I don't want them to think, think that I'm talking trash about them because I'm not, but I know the founder of the company. I know his story. He's been on my podcast. I know exactly how he founded it. I know why he did it. I know everything about it. And, and then one of his technical people who's been with them since the beginning has on his business card co-founder. And I'm like, dude, you, you were there in the beginning, but you didn't found this thing. You helped build it, but you're not the founder. And, and that subtle lie that there's other people who helped us found it is what helps us break the law of the architect because one person's job is to set that vision, communicate that vision and build that asset. You can hire the people to help you communicate it. You can hire the people to help you build it, but it's ultimately your responsibility. I think it's more like a status thing. Cool powder just sounds super cool, you know? And uh, yeah, even if it's like on a subtle thing, it's like a more like a, yeah. I'm the co-founder of this business, but I agree with what you're saying. There can only be one architect, one founder. That's so right. yeah. 
So on a different note, uh, Jason, that they say that America is the land of the free and the place where dreams are made. Do you agree or disagree with this statement? Well, um, I think generally, yes, I agree with that statement. But here's here's why I hesitate. Um, these last two years and what our government has done to us during this pandemic is unconscionable, uh, should be punishable by by some means uh, associated with what they've done to us by locking us down, forcing health measures that we don't agree with, by keeping people out of uh, out of work. Uh, they they have they have absolutely killed a generation of people from their abilities, their opportunities. Um, they've made a whole generation of people just scared of their own shadow. I mean, I still see people wearing masks in cars by themselves. I still see people not going to events because they're scared of being in crowds. That should be punishable. Maybe not by death, but it should be definitely punishable. So, so the freedom that I thought we all had as Americans became uh, crystal clear to me over the last two years that we're not as free as we think. So generally speaking, yes, we're the land of the free, and I think there's tons of opportunity here. But Voting for the right people in office now is more important than ever. And I'm not, I don't normally get political on any podcast, certainly not my own, not other people. But, but the reality is that freedom is one, one leader away from being taken away from us. I mean, the freedom that we had to go to school, to the grocery store, to the mall, to, to, to go play golf was completely stripped. And that scares the hell out of me. So, yes, I think we're the land of the free, the home of the brave. But for the last two years, so many people, um, they let the government tell them how to live. And I think it's uh, despicable what 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 they did to us and the fact that we let it happen. I think like, yeah, a lot of people lost their jobs. Uh, like there was like uh, there's a there's a there was a big hit on the economy. And a lot of people, they're like uh, on the financial front, like they could not be free. Like it's showing America is about freedom on the financial front. Like it's goal is like how like that's why entrepreneurship is a thing. But I think yeah, the COVID was a pretty big disaster on that front altogether. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, a lot of what do you think is like the biggest hurdle that Americans face when it comes to realizing the American dream, and how, what can they do to overcome that? According to you, I think the biggest hurdle is just our our uh, lack of imagination and courage. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier with this fear that that people have about starting a business. I think the thing that prohibits us from getting to the American dream, because everybody's American dream is different. I mean, um, uh, you know, some people want to own a business. Some people want to own a home. Some people want a, a good job. Some people want a pension. Some people want to travel. Everybody's dream is different, but everybody has the opportunity. And that's really what's great about the United States of America is that we do have those opportunities. In spite of my earlier comments, we do have those opportunities, however limited they might be from time to time. We do have those opportunities. And so it's our lack of imagination and our, it's a lack of courage. Um, I recently uh, in, invited a family member to invest with my wife and me on a uh, real estate investment. And uh, I understand how cash flow works in investments. Even if I borrow money, if I borrow money to put money into it, as long as it makes me money, it doesn't cost me anything. I understand that. And I think lots of entrepreneurs listening to this show will understand that. But the people who don't understand it and don't get involved, it's their lack of understanding, knowledge, and imagination and courage that will keep them from producing long-term generational wealth. So I, you know, I was hopeful that they would come in with me, not because I needed the money, because I just wanted them to be blessed by seeing this opportunity. 
and they chose not to because they, for whatever reason, they didn't want to borrow the money to put it in or take it out of their investments to put it into real estate. And that's their prerogative. That certainly have no ill will towards them. But I think it's that lack of imagination that will keep people from realizing the American dream, whatever it means to them. Yeah, uh, I think I think a lot of like attaining the American dream is actually the, like taking up those opportunities, right? We always talk about opportunity for a better life, but when the opportunities come, and if you don't take it, then uh, that's that like that actually sets us back. So, and that was a good thing what you did, like giving somebody an opportunity. Yeah, well, it's like my kids. I've got my kids are adults, uh, nineteen and twenty two years old. And, um, you know, I've been telling them for years, you know, you, you've got to get into real estate. You've got to get into investments. We waited way too long, my wife and I did, to do this. And had we done it 20 years ago, um, you know, wh where they are today, can you imagine? Can you imagine how much different my life would be? I mean, I watch these TikTok and Instagram guys that are in their 20s and 30s that have 50 Airbnbs. And sometimes they don't even own the property. They're just, they're doing arbitrage. And I'm thinking, why did I, how did I miss this? Why would, why was somebody not there to show this to me? And now that's why I'm a coach because I want other people to see those opportunities and take those opportunities when they're young and can no, totally. It's, 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 I mean, coaching and education is how we get more people to think with an entrepreneurial mindset. So Jason, what is your viewpoints on inflation and debt? You know, like there's a lot of inflation going on in this country, you know, gas prices, rise four dollars and then like, and then a lot of people are in consumer debt, but you know, entrepreneurs have a certain take on how they view inflation debt. So what, what are your viewpoints on that? Well, inflation um, and and the the I guess the golden or the the silver lining and everything that's going on right now is that this generation of people who just watched what happened over the last two years, if they're paying attention and now see what's happening with people who are running our country today and what they're doing with our dollar, uh, hopefully they will draw the lines between oh they control and fear us and then they deflate our value our money hmm probably ought to vote for different kinds of people. That's, I think, the silver lining on this. But inflation is is that is not that things cost more. It's that your dollar is worth less, and people need don't get it. The fact that I bought my first house for seventy seven thousand dollars in nineteen ninety seven, and today, um, you know, a starter home would be two hundred fifty two hundred ninety thousand dollars. It's not that that the bricks and sticks are worth that much more money. It's that our dollar is worth that much less. That, that much less. And we have to pay attention to that. So that goes to your question about debt. I would say that debt, a uh, consumer debt, it compounds the problem of inflation. So if you're going to borrow money to buy a car for, and you're just going to pay that out of your earned income or borrow money for a new couch, or you're going to borrow money for a television, that's stupid. You're never going to make, you're compounding the problem in the opposite direction. Debt is dumb. Consumer debt is dumb, but leverage Leverage is another thing. Just like I was saying before, if it makes me money, it costs me nothing. I don't care how much money I had to borrow to do it. If for some reason I could borrow the $180,000 to buy the new Porsche 911 that I want, if I could borrow the 180, buy the Porsche, and the Porsche somehow made me money, I would do it. But you and I both know it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So how am I going to get that Porsche? Well, what I have to do then is go borrow the $189,000 buy a little fix and flip, flip it, make some cash, 
make or, or rent it out and then get the cash flow to pay for the Porsche. That's how you use other people's money the right way. Don't borrow money for jewelry. Don't borrow money for watches and cars and yachts and boats. Really? Don't borrow money for things that make you money because if it makes you money, it costs you nothing. And I'll add this. If you're saving money, you're losing money. Do not save money. Saved money is absolutely worth less today than it was yesterday. And especially during times of high inflation, like what we've got right now in the Biden administration, it is insane. Your money is worth less every single day you wake up. So the longer it sits in that account, the longer it sits at the bank, you're worth less. Get out of the banks. Get out of the banks. Figure out how to get out of the banks. I figured out how to do it with life insurance. Get out of the banks. Get into real estate. Get into things that will appreciate long-term because savers are losers. Jason, I love that you said that because like a lot of extraordinary America is uh, the concept is about, okay, your wages are not uh, matching up to the inflation that's happening. And then you're doing consumer debt. You're becoming more financially enslaved. Now you're forced to go do a job and everything like that. Like uh, Versus you utilizing debt to do a business or like to basically utilize that to get yourself out of financial to a state of financial freedom. And I think this is really important because right now more and more Americans are getting enslaved because like they are taking their, they're using their debt to buy cars, this, that, and consumer debt, this de debt and everything like that. Wages are not matching up with inflation. And so they're not free on the financial front. And America is all about freedom. But on the financial front, that's not the case that we're seeing right now. Yeah. And the small-minded people who are not taking opportunities to listen to shows like this and expand their thinking, they're they're looking at, well, uh, gas just went up to $5 and bread went up to $8 and groceries are up. Blah, blah. Uh, so, you, so, Mr. Employer, you should pay me more. To, okay. That, here's why that's not going to fix it. Because I'll pay you more. That doesn't fix the problem. The problem is the Fed is making rules and making laws about what's going on in our money system that's ruining all of us. So a $15 minimum wage doesn't fix anything. It actually compounds the problem even more because you just listen, when I started my first job, I think I was making $3.80. That was that was minimum wage back then as a 15-year-old kid busting tables. I wasn't screaming for $10 an hour or even seven at the point mo moment because that, that was a, it, that's what I was supposed to make. That's what that job paid today. Minimum wage. I don't even know what it is. What is it? Seven, eight bucks. I have no idea what it is, but you, you can't find a job that pays it. Everybody's paying more than that. Why? Because the marketplace demands it. Let the marketplace decide how much people should get paid. Don't the fed and the government shouldn't be telling us how much to pay each other. If you'll do a job for me for a dollar, why should you and I have the government come in and say, no, you have to pay them too. That's that's crazy. This whole thing about you've got to raise my wages to keep up with inflation doesn't fix the problem. I also understand that that doesn't make anybody feel any better either hearing that. But the problem is not the employer. The problem is not the employee. The problem is the Fed. The problem is our government. We've got to figure that out. That's why over the last two years, my eyes have been open. I used to not be political at all, but my eyes are open. The people in charge are the ones that are screwing everything up. Yeah, I agree. But at the end of the day, like, you know, when most Americans are in survival mindset and uh, they're not going to be able to think in this entrepreneurial terms, like they're looking for solutions, but they don't really know what the root cause of the issue is. Yeah. And you and me, we got to help them. We got to help them see that. We got to get out there and and help them and educate them and let them know that, listen, that what you're asking for isn't going to fix this. It's not going to fix it. 
We've got to fix the root cause of the problem, which is greed from our government. Yeah, it's the one thing we know. It's how like greed is always going to be there, you know. So, which brings us to move to the next question. You know, like there's been a deterioration in America's economy over the past few years, not just in America's economy, but also in the family unit and just government in general. Where do you think America is headed, and do you think we should be optimistic about the future or not? Um. You know, that's a great question. And I don't often get into these topics on, on podcasts. Um, these are usually reserved for private conversations among my closest friends. <laughs> so I love it. <laughs> no, no, no. I agreed to do it. So I, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to stretch, stretch a little bit and answer these questions publicly. Um, where's America headed? Well, here's where I don't think it's headed. I, I think that there's the, a lot of people are talking about the fact that the dollar is going to be replaced by the yuan or some other form of currency as the as the standard. I don't think that's going to happen. I I, I really don't. I, I don't have a lot of reason to believe that other than the fact that we're still the strongest country on the planet. And I don't think that I think that when that happens, um, you know, we're close to the end end like the capital E and the I think that's not going to happen until then. I also think that America is not going to be. Um, we're not going to lose superpower status. I think we're going to be fine in terms of that. We, we're the biggest innovators on the planet. Um, we can continue to lose uh, science and math triathlons to the Chinese and, and people in other countries. But you know what? We're still the ones inventing and innovating things. I, I still I still stand behind our innovative spirit as Americans. And we come up with the coolest stuff. I mean, we came up with every cool thing that we're dealing with these days came out of the mind of an American entrepreneur who is changing the world. So the fact that our kids aren't performing well against other nations, I, I'm not too worried about that. I, I am confident in America's future. Now, where are we going? I don't know. I, I tell you, the 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 idea of uh, these midterm elections that are coming up, I think there's going to be a huge, huge shift back to uh, Republican. I think after this after this midterm election, and uh, I, I think that there's going to be a return to more fiscal normalcy uh, and responsibility because it's it was, it's been really crazy over the last couple of years, in my opinion, about what's been happening. I think we're going to get back to some. Uh, centrist policies of how things should be done with in terms of money and what the Fed's doing with the interest rates and what's happening on on uh, Wall Street. Um, but I, I, I'm hopeful that we're still going to be here and we're still going to be powerful. And I'm still proud that I'm from here. And I, 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 I love I love this country and I, I feel I feel blessed to be a part of it. I, I'm pissed at it most of the time because of what's been going on over the past couple of years. But um, I still think given all the alternatives. This is still the best place in the world. No, I totally agree. You know, of, of all the countries that I've known, like, yeah, it has always been like the hill of the nation, like, like the hill of the world. I mean, and so, yeah. So, Jason, on a different note, I know you've done this mastermind thing called the Exeter Club, where you teach like the exit lifestyle. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about the premise of uh, this and how you got started with this? So in 2020, I stepped away from the daily operations of, of one of the businesses that I own. And um, it took me a long time to figure out how to get out of the daily operations without selling it, where I could still make money, still benefit from it financially and taxes, et cetera. And uh, when I stepped away, I had this, um, you know, desire to help other people. I'd been coaching entrepreneurs for quite some time just on the side. And I thought, you know, I'm going to formalize it and start a coaching company. So I did. Um, and I started coaching entrepreneurs. And then I started thinking about, well, what's the unique thing that I know how to do that I could actually train specifically other entrepreneurs how to do it? And 
And what I pulled off um, was an exit, but without exiting. It was an exit without selling. And it occurred to me, uh, working with my coaches, that other entrepreneurs would probably be interested in the same thing, that will probably want to figure out how to get untrapped from the ironic prison that they found themselves in as entrepreneurs and business owners. And so that's what I started paying attention to. So I started something called a business accelerator where I, it's an eight week group coaching program where I take you through these four things that I did to get out of the daily operations. And then um, in 2021, at the end of 2021, I began putting together the plans for a mastermind, which you were asking about called the Exeter Club. And we launched it in January, 2022. And uh, it, is a, it, is a, it is an exclusive mastermind for male entrepreneurs who want to live what I call the exit lifestyle. In other words, how would you live if you didn't have to be in your business every single day? What would you do? Some people want to start other businesses. Some people want to travel. Some people want to spend more time at home. Some people want to just start a new division inside their company. But whatever that exit lifestyle is, it's it's what you do after you exit daily operations. So the Exeter Club is designed to give male entrepreneurs that opportunity to exercise that, to work together with a bunch of other guys who are trying to do the same thing. And we can work together to encourage each other to get to that place where we finally have control over the choices of how we spend our time. You know, awesome. I would definitely recommend my audience to take a greater look into that. Yeah. Um, so uh, you've also been doing this thing, this podcast called The Root of All Success. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about that? Well, when I, yeah, when I, uh, when I started experiencing success as an entrepreneur, uh, as a curious person, I started asking other people that I consider successful entrepreneurs, how did you do it? What, what was your secret? How did you, how did you build this company? And just natural curiosity. And what I discovered was that there, was, there were these five things that came up every single time. And I, I got to thinking about those five things. And I thought, you know what? I bet if I had a podcast where I formally inter interviewed these people and asked them these same questions, <clears throat> I bet I could prove out this theory that these five things are the keys to everyone's success. And so that's why I started the show. And I, I recorded my first episode in December of 2020. And uh, I'm about to record my 100th episode and yeah, thank you. My 100th episode is going to be a hundred definitions of success because I ask every entrepreneur on my show what his or her definition of success is. And so we've compiled all that and I'm going to spend the hundredth episode kind of reviewing what all these definitions mean and how they're similar to one another, because they're all very, very similar, but, uh, and then encourage my listeners to go out and find their version of success and achieve it. No, it's interesting. Cause like I've been doing interviews right now for like, past month or something. And I've noticed that whenever I've asked entrepreneurs about like success tips and everything, there's a theme that's starting to come. Like they're all talking about like the same thing, like mentorship, got a drive to succeed like this. And then it's just like, you have the, the way of dealing with failure, confrontation, when they're looking at, uh, at a certain thing, they're looking for the possibility and opportunities, like this stuff, stuff like that, you know, basic things. It's like a team that comes like, there's like a certain thing of thinking and acting in a certain way that leads to success. And, right. and I do believe that if this could be put on a national level where these thought processes that you are having right now, if they're put on a thought on a national level, that it could change the way America is headed altogether. And I truly believe that. I, I, I too believe that. I believe that entrepreneurs are the ones that change the world. I don't think it's parents. I don't think it's pastors. It's certainly not government. It's not police officers. It's not teachers. It, it's entrepreneurs. Now, all those people have levels of influence, 
but the true changing of the world happens in an entrepreneur. I mean, we're on a Zoom call right now. Well, this is changing the world. Who invented Zoom? An entrepreneur. We're using microphones. We're using cameras. Who invented these things? Entrepreneurs. Uh, we go out, ride our bikes for exercise, or we run in our shoes for exercise. Who invented those? Entrepreneurs. We're changing the world. And the opportunity to make the world a better place is directly in the hands of the entrepreneurs. No, I totally agree. No, yeah, it's it's actually true. So Jason, where can we go to, where can the audience go to connect with you and get to know more of what you're doing? Well, if uh, if you're on Instagram, I would love for you to follow me at the real Jason Duncan. So just go follow me at the real Jason Duncan. And of late, I've had some people trying to scam and and uh, put my uh, do fake accounts. So oh, I don't know how to tell you, but mine is just at the real Jason Duncan. No underscores, no no spaces, no extra letters. It's exactly what it is. So go follow me on there. Report any account that's not that one. <laughs> but follow me there. I post content there every single day, multiple times a day. I'm also on LinkedIn at the real Jason Duncan. But uh, but my my I guess one of the big thing I would say is that entrepreneurs who are listening to this. If you want to know how close you are to being able to exit without exiting, how close are you to being able to get to that place where you can step away from daily operations? I've, I've designed a tool. It's free for you to use to, to, to know how close you are. And you can go to the real slash am I ready? So my website is the real slash am I ready? And if you Google that, you'll, you'll find it. But uh, it's a it's a free tool that I've designed that includes a half hour with me, yours truly, one on one. But uh, you get you get that tool, you get a review of it with me, and it'll tell you how close you are to getting ready for that. Awesome. Well, Jason, uh, that's that's uh, we're concluding the show right now. I'm really glad that you came uh, and uh, took part of the show, and we would love definitely love to have you back on the show because you at the end of the day you have the entrepreneurial an innovative spirit that makes America extraordinary in the first place. It's people such as yourself with these thoughts and mindsets that is actually going to turn, eventually turn things around. Thank you, Cosmos. It's been an honor to talk to you and I would, I would be glad to come back. I would like to conclude this show by saying to my fellow extraordinary Americans that there's an extraordinary within each and every one of us. It's our job to unleash and empower them. Until next time, bye for now. Hey there, everyone. Thank you for watching Extraordinary America. If you like what you see, please do subscribe to our podcast and share it with others. Remember that the best investment that you can make in your lifetime is in your own financial education, for it is knowledge that truly sets you free. Also remember that uh, your purchasing power is being diluted through inflation. And then the practical thing to do is to protect the loss of your purchasing power by investing in precious metals or the right cryptocurrencies. Also, never forget that you are an extraordinary American. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now.